Welcome to Technado. Welcome and thanks for joining us for another episode of Technado. I want to remind you that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro, and you can use that promo code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. And if you don't know, I'm one of your hosts, Sophie Goodwin. Looking forward to getting into this week's tech and security news. And of course, I'm not alone. I have Don to my left. Don, how are you? I am doing great. Ready for another exciting episode of Technado. A ton of fun stuff going on this week. Uh, we got our, our kind of dip our toes into hardware a good bit in the first mm -hmm. half. And then, you know, cybersecurity is always on fire. So <laughs> that's the second <laughs> half of our podcast. <laughs> And uh, then, of course, we've got Daniel over on the other end of the table rocking what looks like a pirate shirt, maybe? Yeah, this is a shirt I got ah, from B-Sides the year okay. I got COVID. Oh, and good times. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> this was, so it was funny. When I went to this B-Sides, you know, COVID was a thing that was happening in the world, but it hadn't quite made it to the U.S. yet. And then I get home that weekend. It didn't quite feel great. And, you know, on the news, uh, Hillsborough County has first case of COVID in U.S. And I'm like... Uh-oh. <laughs> I met that person. <laughs> Rut row, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah it's it was, you. You uh, were the first my, case. This is my memorium shirt. Oh. Yeah. It, it, like you died? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I was reborn yeah. after that's, that. That's the reason for the skull and crossbones? Yes. This okay. is a picture of my naked skull. Oh. <laughs> right. oh, memories. I'm sorry I asked. Thank you for sharing. So, so we'll go ahead and, and get into uh, this first article because... I think I'm done with that conversation. So this <laughs> this uh, first article comes to us from Tom's Hardware. It says Microsoft announces end game for third party Windows printer drivers. So they've, they've set an end of servicing deadline for it looks like it's it's some legacy printers, uh, V3 and V4, I think. So I don't personally own a printer at the moment. <laughs> I only print things at work because I only print things for work. So. I don't really know how big of an issue this is. Do you, are there realistically, do you think there are a lot of legacy printers still in use that this is going to affect people? Uh, you know, I, I believe it will. And and there is certainly a, a generational thing here. A lot of people have gone all electronic and it's very possible for you not to have a printer. Uh, however, there are still plenty of times where people do need printers. We need to print things out. And, uh, you know, remember the old joke? We, we used to say like, no matter how bad a network failure was, right? If your servers are down, your services, hackers have gotten into your system, as long as there's at least one printer for you to print your resume, then things aren't that bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if you get to a point where you can't print your resume, then you're really in trouble. Well, today all the resumes are digital, so it's not really needed. Uh, but printers are still a pretty common thing. And most households that have computers do have at least one printer. And almost all businesses have a printer. And it's just kind of a given thing that you're going to have it. Uh, we, we print things for our, yeah. our day job all the time. I actually and had to fax something this weekend. No way. Yes, sir. Required a fax. Huh. Was it a government thing? It was a government thing. <laughs> government. Uh, <laughs> so, so they're out there. And, and they require drivers, and the drivers are literally always a pain in the butt. Uh, you know, maybe you have an HP laser printer that is PostScript supported, and so the driver is built into Windows. You hook up the printer, and off you go. But more often than not, you've got a multifunction printer, something that's got a scanner and, and fax machine or whatever <laughs> built into it. Uh, and then you need a more complex driver, which... Printer drivers have always been poorly supported for a long, long time. So Microsoft has been trying to make improvements to make that better. And they've been working with a couple of other organizations to try and ensure that up, which is where this announcement comes from. And this announcement is super confusing because what they're ultimately saying is we are no longer going to support third-party drivers after 2027. Now, 2027 is in four years. That's, that's a long time from now. Yeah. Uh, but the... The, the nuance of it is a little complex. So what they're really saying is we will no longer support third-party printer drivers through Windows updates, through automatic driver installs. You'll still be able to go to a vendor and download a third-party printer driver. That's not going to change. But the automatic drivers you get from Microsoft, they're stopping those. And they're moving to the Mopria framework. And if you're not familiar with Mopria, it's a dumb name. Uh, that stands for the Mobile, <clears throat> Mobile Printer Alliance, mm. Mopria. Uh, and it was originally made for Android. So the, well, it was originally made for themselves, but it was originally <laughs> right. supported in Android. The idea was that if you had an Android tablet or a phone and you wanted to print, they needed a standard driver. They didn't want to have a bunch of printer drivers on your cell phone. Uh, and so they came up with this, 
this alliance to create a standard driver. And that's what Microsoft is going to support. iOS supports it. And it's going to become kind of the de facto standard for printer drivers. Wow. Well, it's a brave new world, right? One driver to rule them all and in the darkness behind them. You know, it's funny. Uh, this made me think of we've all had, well, most of us, a lot of us have had our trenches days where we were on desktop support, workstation support. And this reminded me of a time where Don and I used to work at a company that had a workstation and support crew and they were, they were just above useless. (laughs) (laughs) And I love them to death. They were great people, but you know, they just didn't know a lot and that wasn't their fault. But (laughs) this was after you had left. Uh, I get called over to help with a, with a, with a problem. Right. And the, the workstation support manager was on the phone helping. So it's been escalated. This has been escalated. (laughs) I've just happened to be walking by and he's like, can you help me with this? I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. What, what's the problem? So-and-so is trying to print, and the printer's not printing. Well, we had a printer device that was ubiquitous throughout our network, right? Every workstation had the same printer. So I knew exactly how to make these printers work, what drivers they use, all, uh, anything about that printer I could tell you, right? And he's, I said, well, tell me what the problem is. Well, this is, we try to connect it, it doesn't work. I got, it sounds like it needs the, the print driver installed. He goes, no, no, no. The, the, the user on the phone told me they installed the print driver. I go, that's nice. <laughs> Sounds like you need a print driver. He's like, it's not the print driver. And the people that were our user base were kind of sensitive about being told that they didn't know something. And he didn't want to insult the guy. So he decided to insult me by telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is a print driver thing. You need to install the print driver. He goes, well, if, if I need to talk to your boss, this is what he tells me, right? If I need to talk to your boss to get you to work on this oh. issue, I go, all I'm going to do is install the print driver. Also, all you need to do is install the printer. I go, but if you want to go talk to my boss, that's totally fine. Let's go right now. Right? So we did. And uh, Don knows my our, boss. Our boss and and, and uh, the other person that was in the room as well was, was Jay. Uh, okay, right? Who was our lead tech at the time? <laughs> Walk in, explain the situation, and Jay goes, "Sounds like you need a print driver." I go, "Thank you, thank you." I'm like, "Why does it take another person for you to agree with me? I know what I'm talking about. That's why I work not yeah. at the workstation support anymore. I run the servers and, and stuff." <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably just because you're exceptionally unlikable. That's most likely. The case. <laughs> I, I have it under good authority that that case is closed. a true fact right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, end users are a, a yeah. special thing. So I'll, I won't be sad to see printers finally go the way of the dodo one day. Damn, yeah, damn I mean, them straight to hell. We've got to be close, you know, <laughs> right? Because it, it, how often do you really need to print stuff anymore? I feel like CompTIA is it's like a big conspiracy because they'll never remove it from like knowing oh, from the, the A plus exam. Yeah, yeah. 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 the A plus exam. That's Dude. their bread and butter, man. They, yeah. So when in, you know, we'll just we'll throw it out here. So you've been A plus certified for a long, <laughs> a long time. Long so time. Yeah. When in your life have you ever needed to know what a Corona wire was? Zero times. <laughs> Zero. Zero time. flipping you, times. You've never replaced a Corona wire? Nope. No, because you just pull the damn thing out, the whole unit, <laughs> and you slide a new one in, and you go, look, and it, which contains everything, right? <laughs> And you go, oh, look, it works now. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on with my life. Hey, stop snorting that dust. <laughs> it, it's not like printer repair tech is a like growing like a career anymore. field. <laughs> it was for a while. It was. It was like a big deal for a while. I, I attribute that to where, I and mean, we're way off on a tangent here. <laughs> but, but it's been fun going down this road. You know, in the 80s, nobody had an IT department. Right. Right. They just, it didn't exist. You didn't have computers as you like might go to Sierra today, yeah. right? Uh, but you did have copier machines. And there were Xerox copiers everywhere. Yeah. And, well, those dot matrix printers. And yeah, and right? so companies would have a copier repair tech or their printer repair tech. And then when they started building IT departments, they would just absorb that. Move those people. Like yeah. your, your Xerox repairman became your network guy yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, and so I, I think that's why some of this sticks around, this legacy knowledge, but somewhat, somewhat useless yeah. now. I'm going to be sad if if copiers and printers go just because I used to really like making copies when I worked. They're never going to go away completely, but there'll be like one giant one for everyone and that'll be it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how we are here in this building. Right. right? There's one printer printer printer. for the whole building. For everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Twice a week I hear somebody come out and go, this damn printer. It used to be that (laughs) we would print 
massive amounts of stuff, right? Because you needed to. Yeah. Now we don't. So yeah, you, know, you just need yeah. one good one good printer. I just and get seventeen teams messages about it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> it. Instead of seeing flyers all over the place, it's just yep. it's just teams or emails or whatever. I, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I really hope that they don't uh, that they don't go become too extinct because yeah. I mean I well too extinct that's not really a thing if you're extinct you're extinct <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I like hope, you're of just kind of pregnant <laughs> <laughs> yes and no yeah. I hope I hope they don't go away completely uh, but it, it does just sound like <laughs> I hope they don't get it, too pregnant <laughs> 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 but, but like you said I'm sure it's it'll be uh, maybe they'll become less common less yeah. you know it's not like you got one in every household but. I don't know. I, I'm kind of going to miss that. Maybe it's just a... It was always fun when ink became so massively expensive. Yeah. You basically just went and bought another printer. Yeah. Because it was like, why not? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's almost the same price. And with all the shady subscription stuff they're doing these yeah. days where, oh, yeah. you want your printer to work, you got to pay a monthly fee. Oh, Screw that. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. Yeah. I won't miss that. I won't miss having to call my brother to help me fix my printer all the yeah. time. So so there's that. We'll go ahead and move on because like Don said, we got, we got off on a couple little side <laughs> roads there. So we'll head into our next article. This comes to us from TechSpot. It says, ceramic nano memory promises to disrupt the $500 billion storage business. So supposedly... This ceramic nano memory is supposed to be able to withstand extremely high temps and be long lasting and reduce costs. So there's all these positives listed. And I, I just have to wonder what the catch is. There's got to be downsides to this, right? All right. Uh, you know the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't, right? Uh, <laughs> is it, the guy that invented this stuff is going to find himself at the bottom of an elevator shaft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where he landed on, landed on some bullets. He landed on some bullets. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it's at that level. I don't know there's corruption or whatever, but... <laughs> Over the years, we've heard a number of claims about new storage technologies, and IBM has, has largely been at the forefront of this. They've come up with some really crazy laser, solid-state storage stuff, uh, except it's kind of had a common element, which is it required sub-zero temperatures. So they would need like liquid nitrogen-cooled stuff, and so while they could store tons and tons of data— It was super expensive. If it was at room temperature, the data would be lost within minutes. And so, you know, in order to maintain that data storage, it, it was just extremely costly to keep it at low temperatures. Well, a German startup uh, has started to market a product called Cerabyte, or Cerabyte is the company. So the, the technology they have is called ceramic nano memory. And allegedly, they've found a way to leverage ceramics, which are incredibly stable, common, inexpensive, right? You can go to any art store and buy ceramics for dirt cheap, right? Mm. And they last for thousands of years. And they're saying, their, their claim is that they can store terabyte upon terabyte of data inside of ceramic storage for a low cost, and it will stay at room temperature for 5,000 years without losing any data. Whoa. That's really impressive. That's very impressive. If, if, they can deliver on it. So they're in a marketing campaign right now. They're promoting this, and they're saying that it's ushering in the Yodabyte era of storage. I'm, glad, though, you, I'm glad you said that because I would have pronounced it wrong. <laughs> so, what would you have went with I, out of curiosity? Yodabyte. Yeah, That's what it looks like. Y-O-T-T-A? Yeah. All that right. sounds like some, like, it would belong with yeet. and if, Right, it right. does. It sounds like slang. That's, yada I saw, bite. I thought it was a joke. I'm like, Yodabyte. Like, Yodabyte, I would expect to ODA. Like, mm. Well, you know, that's what yeah. I would expect. Yeah, well, I, I, I like that. It was awesome. Although now, now I really want to move on to like a Yeezy bite. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Get straight to that. Uh, so, so if you're it's not familiar with all the storage measurements, neither was I. I had to look them up. So, <laughs> because you know, today if you go to the store, what do you buy? You buy terabyte drives, right? So maybe we, you do with all your money. <laughs> got a terabyte in your laptop. Yeah. Poser. So, <laughs> megabyte, then it goes to gigabyte, then it goes to terabyte. Terabyte is kind of our common unit now when we go and buy storage. After terabyte, you have petabyte. Now, to my knowledge, you cannot go and buy a petabyte drive right now, not mm. a single drive. So if you want a petabyte of storage, you have to have multiple drives to get there. Beyond a petabyte, you have an exabyte. And an exabyte... Uh, I've I've seen a number of SANS. This is the end of my knowledge of bytes. <laughs> yeah, which for for all functional requirements should be the limit, right? right. Because uh, there are high end storage area network SANS that can support four exabytes or eight exabytes, right? So it's not really beyond that yet in terms of how we can address that storage. Well, beyond an exabyte is a zettabyte, z e t t a zettabyte, and then beyond that is a yottabyte. So a yottabyte is massive. And they're not claiming, hey, here's this single thing that'll give you a yottabyte of storage. Yeah. They're saying that we can store so much that we can store 
exabytes worth of data that if you have multiple of our, they're calling them tapes, multiple right. of our tapes, then you could, in theory, have yottabytes of storage wow. in archive. And this is not fast storage. So it's not designed for like running your laptop. This is something you use for backup and archive. Right. So, I mean, uh, just a practical application off the top of my head would be like, let's archiving the internet. Yeah. Would be, this would be phenomenal for that. Right. Yep. Which led me to a thought. And I, I want to get you guys' opinion on this because as a society. Should we keep around all this information? Right. Because right. most of it's useless. We generate a ton of data. So like if we go back in history to early written history, go, yeah. go back to like the Egyptian empire. Oh, empire? you got like cave drawings on a wall. It's just a hand. So so they have hieroglyphics and things. Yeah. And so some of that is captured in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. and whatever from the early days of writing. So we we only know a small fraction about those civilizations because of what, right. what survived. They only kept the important things because creating data was very difficult. Right. And so the data we do find is typically very valuable. Right. Right. Very useful and informative. But I was thinking about it. Even 200 years from now, let's just fast forward 200 years. If somebody looks back on this year, 2023, what are they going to find? They're going to find volumes and volumes of crap <laughs> just absolute garbage like stuff on the kardashians and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how how would they possibly sift through that to find anything meaningful that's gonna uh, yeah. be a rough rough job yeah. i would hate to be that person <laughs> <laughs> there's a part of me that like i i hang on to everything i hate getting rid of stuff like I have papers from first grade that is like I don't need that drawing. I was six and I was dumb, so like I don't need that. It's not it's not important, but I hang on to it anyway because it's like well oh, but it's it's a memory, you know. Mm. And so so like everything digital that I have, like I hesitate to delete pictures and things like that. Practically, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have all of these volumes and volumes of I think I think to put it eloquently, like you said, crap. All of these <laughs> volumes of things. There have been things I've seen where it'll be like a, a shit post of Five Nights at Freddy's, and it'll be like. Some digital archaeologist in a hundred years is going to uncover this and be like, "What did this mean for society?" Yeah. And it's just Freddie Fazbear, you know. So, so I I would say that yeah, I mean for I think for the sake of I don't want us in a hundred years to look back and be like, "What the hell were they thinking? What and were they doing?" You know, would they misinterpret it? Would they right. think that we had a war did, with did they worship, robotic bears? <laughs> they worship this dancing animatronic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that like. Even 200 years ago, yeah. uh, I'll use classical music as an example, right? So we know Beethoven and Mozart and the best of the best of that genre of music survived because it was the best and the rest of it's completely forgotten. Now we have SoundCloud. And so <laughs> today, you know, is, is Justin Bieber preserved at the same level as Mozart? <laughs> or uh, I, I do wonder, like, are we going to lose some of our most most valuable information. I mean, when I say most valuable, I mean like um, Megadeth's Rust in Peace, yes. right? Like, I mean, that uh, it's is obviously yeah. the tip of that spear. But 200 years ago, how do you know, or 200 years in the future, right. how do you identify that in a sea of Justin Bieber? Right. Right. Because now, <laughs> now, now we went from having like, you know, these very pointed pieces of data that we could easily go, well, obviously this was preserved for a good reason, right? People thought this was important. So therefore, and don't get me wrong, yeah, there's like you know, receipts and stuff that we have found as well, but that was just by happenstance, these these other things that were kind of intentionally, yeah, intentionally hold away <laughs> and securely safeguarded, you know, obviously we thought that was important and therefore it's easy for us to go, this is most likely a very important thing. Now you've got the opposite. You've got such a, a glut of information. You, you think of it as like, I've got a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle here with 10,000 pieces. <laughs> Yeah. How do I know which one goes and which one is yeah. garbage? Yeah. So sifting through that information is extremely difficult. So it, it might behoove us to start prioritizing or maybe come up with a system of prioritization to say, right. hey, I can flag my data as, you know, this is really meaningless other than to me. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. you find me important, then the data becomes like transiently important. You know, you start to get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But if we have some sort of data classification system that's universal, that could put an end to us having to worry about storing useless, meaningless data. Well, going back to Cerebite, I, I think, you know, can Cerebite deliver on this? I don't think so. Uh, no. You know, we'll, we'll see where that oh. goes. Should they deliver on this? <laughs> I don't think so either. I think that uh, we do need to reevaluate how our data is stored. themselves hanging um, from a tree with a it, shotgun blast to the chest. It's just... <laughs> 
Yeah, we have so much junk. We, we do need a better way to classify data and, and preserve it. it. There is data that needs preserving, and then you get into the whole moral and ethical thing of who, yeah, yeah. who's the judge of what gets preserved mm-hmm. and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Mm. But it's interesting. Just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's. I, I don't want to get on a tangent, but you've got me thinking now, this whole, like, oh, should we be preserving everything and talking about, oh, we need, like, a data classification system. And I'm just wondering how how you could possibly do that because it seems like so much of it would be subjective, especially when you talk about like the arts, like, okay, which movies do we preserve? Which books do we, pre- like we've got the library of Congress, right? Yeah. And there's certain books and movies and things that end up there, but like music, maybe there's music that I really like that you're like, that's crap. Maybe I like Coldplay and you're like, we could burn all of Coldplay's yeah. discography to the ground and nobody would miss it. And I'd be like, I think it's art or. Inter- I think it comes down to uh, the cultural impact. Like if it had yeah. a massive cultural impact, yeah. Like, so, so my favorite SoundCloud rapper Bickle is not going to survive the information unlikely. burn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what I really want to talk about though is the, the this this article title kind of led me to the idea that there is a seedy underbelly to the data storage <laughs> business, and I was really hoping to get into that, but uh, you nah, know, it's take like a mafia one. style yeah. <laughs> thing going on here where they're sending you like severed hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that would, that wouldn't be a, a Yoda bite. That would be a Gotti bite. Yeah, that would be a Gotti bite. bite. <laughs> a Teflon Don, right? <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I wish we could get into that because that would be a fun discussion. Maybe we'll Bull do. Gravino is going to come after you. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a. We'll start a Technado bonus episode or something. We'll do a Patreon. Yeah. We'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have a suggestion box. You can tell us what you think. But for now, we'll move on to our next article because I know we're, we're taking a long time to get through this. So this comes to us uh, from Slashdot. It says IEEE Spectrum announces top programming languages of 2023, and perhaps unsurprisingly, Python is number one with a bullet. And it sounds like it actually increased its lead from. I guess last year's the 2022 top programming languages, but there's, that's like general. There's also a list that has to do with like programming languages for jobs or programming languages for I don't know, different certain fields. Right. But Python, yep. generally speaking, is, is a top contender. Yes. So, uh, you know, we, we report on this each year because it, it's important if you're mm-hmm. working in it, regardless of whether you're a sysadmin, netadmin, or a developer, you are expected to write a little bit of code these days, like because of automation and so on. And it may be bash scripting and PowerShell is your dipping your toe into it. Or if you're in the cybersecurity world, the odds are you are using Python for more than one thing. Daniel, you use it for creating Python, yeah. uh, uh, custom tools, custom right? Custom tools or writing point of concept, you know, exploits and that kind of stuff. Yep. Now, the interesting thing to me is I could go and talk to 10 developers or 10 engineers and ask them about what their favorite programming language is, and none of them will say Python. <laughs> like, Python is not anybody's favorite, and yet, if you go and look for uh, jobs in development or the amount of code that's being written, Python is the most popular programming language by a long shot, like almost double the number two. Number two is Java, which, you know, is hung around for quite some time, uh, and Android is going to keep it around for quite some time as well. Uh, and then it goes into some of the ones we expect, C++, C, JavaScript, C Sharp, and so on. Uh, so the list isn't really surprising. But the jobs thing that Sophie mentioned I, I thought was important is they're calling out that when you look for developer jobs, you are more likely to find SQL listed than anything else. And mm. I, I thought that was interesting with that Python interesting. being number two. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I don't think of SQL as a programming language. It's a query language. Right. Right. I mean, that's what the QL stands for. No, I, <laughs> so. I guess it does programming, right? I guess you can create functions and, yeah, and, you, you know, conditional logic. You can create functions and, and stored procedures, which are really just a series of queries that, yeah. you know, like a bash script is really just a series of commands. SQL is just a series of queries, and that's yeah. it. So weird to see it there, but hey, it's it's up there, and it's a an in demand skill, database management, and and support. So is, what do you think is causing uh, Python to be so popular? I think that it's extremely robust. It's mm-hmm. probably its tool set, right? So you know when you want libraries and things, it is quite robust when it comes to those like the standard libraries, and then the whole PyPy idea yep. is is very helpful. I also feel like because of how uh, the the low ticket price to getting involved in Python is 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 very nice for new users, right? For new people that want to get into programming or learn some sort of programming, therefore it, it typically tends to be Python as their first language. Yeah, and then they start to do what when people that know them go, oh, I want to get into that. What, what do you suggest? Learn Python. Yeah, and then it becomes this like revolving door of people learning it and then suggesting that you learn it. And it gains this popularity 
it is pretty like useful. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It's a lot of useful tools. So on my on my desk, I have one of those stream decks, right? Yeah. Uh, with the programmable buttons, you can program them to do whatever you want. And we have some video routers here in the building that I wanted to be able to change what video was being sent to one of the monitors above my desk. And the the video switch supported the cutting edge protocol Telnet. <laughs> so I need to be able to send commands via Telnet from a push button. And uh, I didn't want to do it manually. I wanted yeah. it to be automatic. And so I, I entertained a couple of different ways of doing it. But in the end, with Python, it has a Telnet library. And so I could just include that library and then send a couple of commands. And you're done. Even I'm not a developer. I right. mean, I've, I've, I've done some dabbling over the years. But in the course of an hour, I was able to, to write a series of Python scripts and automate that and get it where I can push buttons to change what's on my screen. That's the simplicity of Python. Mm. It might not be a fun language for people to write in, but it's very robust and has a big tool set. So I have to imagine that's why it's driven up towards the top. Yeah. If you need to, like, let's say you wanted to write in something else, a lot of people will still end up just writing their first draft of it in something like Python because it's so simple to just go, well, let me just get the logic worked out really quickly. And then I can port that over to another language if I need it to be compiled or fast or whatever. And then they're, they're working on, um, Mecha mechanisms for making Python faster. Yeah, I mean, it's it's relatively quick, but compared to compiled languages, it's not. Yeah. And therefore, like if you, I think if you take all the other compiled languages or all the other used languages and business cases and put them together, they are more, pi they are more popular than Python overall. Mm -hmm. But Python is just so useful. I think YouTube in the early days and maybe even still uh, was written completely in Python using mm -hmm. Flask and Django and all that stuff to, to kind of build that, that system out. So... It just has so much usefulness and the ease of like learning how to deal with it. I will say that I have found Golang to be similarly easy, uh, just very uh, easy to read, very easy to understand, kind of human readable, not so much like strongly typed, uh, you know, things for like functions and recursion and things that you do uh, of that nature. It's just like, hey, here's a variable. Here's what my variable is and here's what I'm going to do with it. It will kind of balk at you a little bit when it comes to because this this is one of the things that that makes it faster when it when it's compiling is that it checks your data types whereas I don't think Python does that um, until it hits like runtime or something mm. where like if you set a, a data type Golang will go hey that's not the right data type yep. you need to fix yep. that and you're like why <laughs> why is this not the right data type and you, you got to work through that but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like Python. I think Python is going to continue to be the leader for quite some time. Yeah, and you know, new languages do come up. You mentioned Go. Yeah, uh, Rust is another one that's been Very gaining popular. in popularity, yeah. uh, but still really far down the chart. So, uh, in fact, yeah, where's Go? Uh, Go, I think it was number eight. Oh, okay, crack the top ten. Seven, eight. Yeah, Go is number eight. Um, Rust is like 20. So what's Clojure? Is it on even on there? Uh, I don't know. You know, I did see some interesting ones like Verilog that were in here. Oh, Clojure's in here. Yeah. It's uh it's gotta be like number 40. It's way down, yeah. It is way down. <laughs> uh, in fact, Clojure is in between Fortran and Cobol. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Just to yeah. give you an idea of how, how prevalent that one is. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna make it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the, the 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 lesson here, yeah. I guess, is that uh, you know if you're having to develop or dabble in development, Python is a is a good language to start with. Yeah, absolutely. I know you mentioned that um, SQL being at the top of that list for for jobs. Mm -hmm. I won't I don't, won't dwell on this too long. I know we're taking a long time, but I thought it was interesting. They did mention when they were talking about this, kind of breaking it down, that oh, it looks like you know it's number one with a bullet for that jobs list, but just purely specializing in, in SQL, that's not gonna that's not gonna get you a job. What right. employers are looking for right. is that in tandem with other languages like Java or C. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I mean I I'll give you an example of how SQL I I I, I typically will end up writing at least one SQL query a, a day, it seems like you, you know do right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll get an Excel spreadsheet that's packed full of data. There's your problem, and <laughs> you, you end up needing to sift through it. Or in the cybersecurity world, right? If yeah. you're given, if you have a seam, yeah, and you've got all this centralized logging, and you need to query against it, right? Give me all the log files from this date that involve this host. Like you've got to be able to query that, and those will oftentimes be SQL. Well, there you so, go. Okay. Yeah. 
Interesting. I did not realize that was something you did on a day-to-day basis. That's pretty yeah, cool. Sadly. I like, shouldn't be surprised. I, I shouldn't have to, but I, I deal with a lot of data. I, should, I feel like Don's got his toe in everything. I really shouldn't <laughs> be surprised. He could he could be like, oh, yeah, you know, I regularly, yeah, you know. Create ceramic ram. Yeah. <laughs> 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 on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm yeah. working for this German company on yeah, the side. Yeah, just consulting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop spreading gross, disgusting lies about Don and yeah. his work for German companies. So <laughs> we're going to go ahead and... Take a break, but don't worry, we will be back shortly with more security news, so don't go away here on TechNado. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed your break. We had a lovely discussion about claymation while we were gone, (laughs) but we won't bore you with that. We're going to go ahead and jump right into our security news for this half of TechNado. We'll go ahead and start with an old favorite segment, Deja News. Deja News. So this, uh, in the words of Lemony Snicket, I guess would be a series of unfortunate events. This comes to us from <laughs> this comes to us from The Verge. It says a Rube Goldberg chain of failures led to a breach of Microsoft-hosted government emails. So it's a Chinese hacking Chinese hacking group, Storm 0558. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. You can correct me if you want. I, I don't, that's fine if you want to. Uh, they gained access to sensitive emails. They obtained some kind of a, a consumer key and. Yeah, series of unfortunate events. How how exactly does something like this happen? Yeah, you know, we we reported on this a couple of months ago that there was a, a breach at Microsoft. They had deactivated one of their certificates, uh, their digital signing certificates, and then it had somehow mysteriously become active again. And so it was a an indicator that something went wildly wrong at Microsoft. Well, we are now finding out some details on what exactly happened. And, and, and you are gonna laugh. And <laughs> it is a, a sordid kind of. Just, or just a bizarre chain of events because I would not have thought of this, so I, I cannot really blame Microsoft for falling into this. But uh, basically, what happened was they had a, a developer machine. It wasn't a developer machine. Even. I thought it you was were a, see what had happened was <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a an active machine in their production environment that yeah. had an application crash. And in Windows, if you've used Windows for any length of time, you know that when an application crashes, it does a memory dump. And so it crashed, and it did a crash dump. Yeah, anybody's ever called support and was like, do you have that crash log? <laughs> yeah, this crash log is completely useless to yeah. 99% of the people that use a computer, but <laughs> the people at Microsoft can look at that crash log and use it to diagnose what's going on. Well, in that dump file is a, a collection of what was in RAM on the system when that happened, and this digital signing key was a part of that memory dump. So... It had a crash. It dumped it to a file. Now, apparently, Microsoft has a, I was going to call it a sophisticated system, but apparently not sophisticated (laughs) enough, that is supposed to check these memory dumps and remove credential keys out of the memory dump before they're taken out of the production environment. And for whatever reason, their system failed to detect the key. And so that memory dump was removed from a production system and moved into a developer system to be able to diagnose it and, and come up with a fix. And that system was less secure. And hackers, through another mechanism, had gained access to an engineering account, which then gave them access to that memory dump, and they were able to find that key in the memory dump. It says that that system, the dev system, also had a key scanning algorithm, and it failed to see the key as well. Yeah. This is just good times. And, you know, personally, I I spent a lot of time securing systems and, and worrying about data leaking out and so on. I don't think I've ever really thought about crash dumps and and the oh, fact yeah. that they contain sensitive data like that. They do all the time and they are a prized possession. Now they don't always have sensitive stuff, but if I'm if I'm an attacker, I've gained access into your system, they are one of the things that I want to gather as information. So because I very well may find some sensitive info inside of them. Now, of course, the common security practice is to scrub that data out of there. Yeah. And to Microsoft's quote unquote credit. They did have mechanisms for doing that. They just didn't work. They just didn't work as well as they had hoped. 
And in lies the problem. And, and anybody that's ever built like an application to do something knows like there's always these edge cases that nobody ever gets. Right. You, you just you cannot predict every little way that these things are going to. Now, you would think that like something like a key would be fairly easy to grab. But for whatever reason, maybe it wasn't. Who knows? I didn't build the thing. I, yeah. don't, I don't want to disparage people because coding applications is a hard skill. And, uh, you know, e even the most skilled developers are going to make mistakes. And even AI will make mistakes. There is no perfect program out there. So we can't really come down on it too hard. Unfortunately, it was the hackers that did their pen test for them <laughs> and not like, you know, a pen testing organization. And see, I, I don't think a pen test would have even found this though, right? Because it's it, unlikely. it required uh, a series of events that it, aren't it going to happen It would have to have been like static, static and dynamic application testing, security application testing would have been what was needed for this specifically. Like they would have had to set forth, this is the things that this is supposed to do. And of course, the security testers would have to say, okay, good, those are all good, but did you think X, Y, and Z as well? Because they had yeah. a set of like uh, standards that they would want to, they would want you to adhere to. And then they would check your code for that. And then they would run the code and test the code, which would be an application pen test, whether that be a web app or a software application, whatever the case, it doesn't matter. And they would run it dynamically to see if they could do an injection attack or things of that nature. And so, with the with the resources Microsoft has, they could be running this every day, three sixty five, right? And so the the possibility that they were to have found this themselves is greater than X, Y, or G, Z companies out there because of their yeah. resources. But it's not necessarily so. But the hackers they they got crafty and they figured this out. All right, now I'm I'm not a pen tester, yeah. right? You're you're our cybersecurity guy, yeah. Uh, However, yeah. because of my role, I, I have paid for numerous pen tests. I've worked with a number of different companies yeah. and spent well, hundreds of thousands Quite of dollars of in money. pen testing. Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, so I, I've been involved in a number of pen tests, and not once in, in, in all my years, yeah. not once has a pen tester said, okay, now we're going to crash your application and see how it responds when it crashes. So oh, really? does that mean That's interesting. that I'm not dealing with quality companies or because I've dealt with some so, high um, reputation companies? Well, here's the thing. Do, building something that might crash your application. So here's the thing. Were they building a system that was crashing the application or were they just going after crash logs? So if your pen testers aren't looking for crash logs and then sifting through them for um, sensitive information, that maybe that's an upsell, like okay. you know, maybe that's a premium charge. <laughs> I, I don't know because it can be uh, laborious to go through that. Uh, you know, state-sponsored hackers don't have that problem. They yeah. they have resources and they have time. This is their greatest assets, right? Whereas your pen testing company does not have that. You don't have that to give to them. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And so they have to go with the lowest hanging fruit that they can find in the time and money given to them to perform those things, and that is why we have trouble securing systems. Microsoft can't do it with their billions of dollars. <laughs> Apple can't do it with their trillions of dollars, right? So we're screwed. This, Google can't do it. <laughs> no one can do it. The US government can't do it. The Chinese government can't do it. The Russian government can't. People, we cannot do it enough. So there's always gonna be the thing. It just takes time and resources and, and a, a very ingenious set of people and they will find a way. Mm. Right. Well, in this scenario, Microsoft has identified what they believe because they're, they're not even positive here, but what they believe to be the path that this data was exfiltrated through, and they have they patched it. They've updated yeah. their key detection software, the way their memory dumps are handled, and so on. Um, but it does raise the question of if you're just a regular, regular IT person that's out there and having to support these systems. Should you should you disable your crash dumps? Should you have a system that's monitoring crash dumps for keys and credentials? Like right. these are questions think we have to start asking. Think of things like Tripwire, things that like check to see if data has been accessed or modified, and alerts you to those things. Putting your crash dumps in that category of hey, monitor this, and if unauthorized devices, of course, if an, if an authorized device gets compromised, then it won't trip the fact that you, know, you get the idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I will say. Microsoft has had um, allegations of negligence in their security practices lobbed against them in the recent past by a few people. So there's a difference between, you know, Don taking the limited set of resources that he has and doing the best he can for security. And that's why you see CISOs like 
<laughs> going before Senate committees and judges and stuff going, we did the best we could. Did you? Did you really? And it's like, this is really hard. You, 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 it's good that we have these investigations. Were you negligent? If you were, then yeah, you're culpable, right? Mia culpa. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm I'm reading this like the rest of of what happened, and I know the first part of it was like, oh well, this happened and it shouldn't have, and we don't know why it failed, and so it was maybe stuff that they couldn't have predicted was going to happen. But I, in my head, I'm thinking like, where else would I be thinking? In yeah. my head, I'm thinking, <laughs> like, okay, our building, we've got a series of like we've got electronic locks on the doors, and you've got a key card to get in, and then like my my desk drawer has a lock, and I lock it before I leave every day, and all this stuff. If I had like like a, a important password on a sticky note in my desk drawer, and I failed to lock my desk drawer, or for some reason I thought I locked it and the key didn't work or whatever, and then there was a short on our doors outside and the electronic locks didn't work and blah, blah, blah. All these things came into play that, oh, we're really just out of our control. And somebody got into that desk drawer and got that post-it note with the password. It's like, well, I, it's not my fault because all these locks didn't work and it's not my fault. But why was the post-it note on the password in my desk in the first place? Because I'm reading the rest right, of this. That would be negligence. Right, yeah. But I'm saying like, okay, so all this, all this other stuff happened but if the password hadn't been there, then maybe there wouldn't have been an issue. Like, yeah. Because there's just all, all this other stuff about this was a consumer key, but it allowed these threat actors to get access to enterprise accounts. And that's because years ago, there was demand for support software that worked mm -hmm. across consumer and enterprise accounts. So the company added that support, but they didn't update. They didn't make updates to the authentication process. So there was other stuff that did so happen that was Microsoft's fault. You'll notice fault. that the key word throughout this article on what created this Rube Goldberg machine of events was assumption. The right. assumption was made that once it hit the dev environment, that's a safe and secure area. Right. So even if it didn't find keys and scrub them out, it shouldn't matter anyway. Sure. But then that data was getting passed along to another system, and yeah. that was exposing it. And the assumption was, well, it's been through two scrubbing systems, so it should be scrubbed. Again, right. assumption, 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 and that's why we do testing. So if Microsoft isn't doing enough testing or they're not doing <clears throat> you know, testing enough in-depth to their systems, and they're creating all this massive machinery, these machinations to, uh, you know, bolt these things together. And, you know, co companies are going, well, I want custom tooling. And they're just like, okay, well, you're a big customer, so we'll do yeah. it. And then that pervades throughout their entire system. That's where they could be negligently right. uh, uh, culpable. I guess, I guess because it's saying that if these updates had been made to, to authenticate whether it was a consumer right. enterprise key so that consumer keys can't be used to access enterprise stuff, if they'd updated those libraries, even if all this other stuff had happened and they'd made all these assumptions, th this threat actor or these threat actors might not have been able to access what they accessed. So it's right. like, okay, yes, all this stuff went wrong and oh, it's not your fault. Or there, there was only so much you could have done to know that that was happening. But if you hadn't let all this stuff happen years ago or if you'd made the proper updates then, maybe you wouldn't be... In, in the little pickle that you're in now, I guess is my point. Yeah, and th their PR team is in full effect oh, on this yeah, one, yeah. Uh, saying, look, hey, cybersecurity is incredibly complex. We have a it very sure, massive yeah. environment, yeah. And, and who's to say? Uh, you know, what's important is that they, they have they patched have it, it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that this one mostly affected the government. And not, <laughs> not normal people. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so anyhow, oh, we'll man. see. It is yeah. fun to kind of like kind of run down the rabbit hole, though, right? Just to, yeah. to think about. It's not just as simple as oh, they they didn't do a good job. They made mistakes. Yeah, they did. Yep. Let's put you in charge to see how well right. you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I appreciate that they shared the details with us because it helps us to learn the things that we could be looking at versus like LastPass, where it was pulling teeth to yeah. get information from them. Um, you yeah, know. because they were fully aware that yeah. th this does seem to be just a case of, oh, wow, we didn't realize how connected these systems were. And our uh, the systems that we had in place to try to safeguard this stuff wasn't doing the job we thought it was doing. Yep. So yep. we got to go back to the drawing board and fix this. And yep. as long as they do that, then... I wouldn't say that this is a black mark too badly on Microsoft. Oh, yeah. Well, plus it's Microsoft. If, I feel like if this were a much smaller company, yeah. maybe it would be like, well, they can't be trusted, but it's Microsoft. I mean, they would have to screw up so badly for it to be and like. Listen, I got no love for Microsoft. Like, I'm not over here like my, you know, MS fanboy, my Bill Gates shirt's on. You know, they, they have their problems and they historically have had their problems. Yeah. But let's... I, I like to give the benefit of the doubt, right, Don? You were just saying yeah, this, right? Let's not be too cynical here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's a new sentence in this room. <laughs> Let's not be too cynical. Okay, I've seen sure. the light. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and move on. I don't want to rag on Microsoft too much because like you guys are saying, it's it's tough stuff. I couldn't yeah. do any of it, so who am I? Who am I to say anything? We'll go ahead and move on. This next article, uh, well, actually, 
it's part of a segment that's that's my favorite. Let me see if I can if I can do the voice. This next segment is called Don't. Do re mi fa so la ti do so. Don't. That wasn't as good. No. I've heard better. Damn. Yeah, you All gotta right. drag it out a little yeah. bit longer. It's maybe a... it's maybe it's been too long <laughs> since you've doed. Yeah, I think but, you're right. I yeah. think it's been yeah. too long. Just I, out of practice. I needed to warm up. See, I'm yeah. giving you credit. I'm giving. All right. I, well. I'm just calling you a complete hack. <laughs> We'll get through these next few articles so I can go drink the paint away. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this, this article comes to us from Tom's Hardware. It says, AMD Zenbleed vulnerability fix tested. So some apps, it says, dropped 15%. But thank God, gaming was unaffected. <laughs> That's all I care about. So gamers, you can you can breathe a sigh of relief. Gaming was unaffected. Well, I have been waiting for these numbers to come out because back when we had Heartbleed and uh, Spectre, Spectre, Spectre Meltdown Spectre and all Meltdown, that stuff, yeah. uh, when, or yeah, not, not, not hard bleed. Sorry, yeah. I'm on the wrong thing. Spectre the bleed, Meltdown. The bleed got you. So <laughs> when we had Spectre and Meltdown, uh, the mitigations that came out for that, the way that you, you prevent those attacks, resulted in a performance hit. And sometimes it was up to 20% performance hit. And I, I, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago on mm -hmm. the podcast, where I said, if you're a hosting provider, you take that hit. That's just what you've got to do. But if you're regular people, you probably want to disable those mitigations because it's not really like realistically it's not an attack that's going to be used against you well amd has had their equivalent of zenbleed and the mitigations for that are coming out and now we're starting to see some of the performance numbers and so far it looks like it's not as bad as the spectra meltdown ones in fact the type of logic that many applications do like like what sophie mentioned with gaming are unaffected by these so you can leave these mitigations in place and still be able to play cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it is you're playing this month <laughs> Uh, Starfield. I guess Starfield is the, the current one. Yeah. Um, Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one is, they're marketing, it, I, I can't imagine what their marketing budget is. Because <laughs> like, if I'm seeing ads for it, it's right, through the right. roof. Uh, but either way, for some applications, for math-intensive applications, databases are a great example of this, uh, the performance hit is as much as 15%, which is significant, right? That's a significant hit. 15% of the computational power of your device is thrown out the window just by mitigating Zenbleed on an AMD processor. So if you are a consumer or individual user, you might consider not patching this, hmm. uh, you're not enabling these, because again, it's just not really an attack that's going to be used against you. But if you're a hosting provider, you take that hit. Yeah, you got to do your risk matrix chart, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Start putting yeah. the uh, likelihood versus severity and uh, where on this red, amber, green chart do I fall? Is this low, low or high, high? Uh, what I do find interesting about this is that um, the priorities, we make sure that uh, as long as gaming is unaffected. Yes. You know. <laughs> People trying to cure cancer and, you know, get us off into other planets and extraterrestrial uh, type of uh, engagements. Yeah, whatever. But um, gaming. Gaming yeah. isn't just a hobby. Yeah, we we okay? dodged a bullet. It's what are we? A lifestyle. A you lifestyle. wouldn't understand. I guess I would not. I think that's a Tom's Hardware thing, right? Because they, they also review gaming oh, mice gotcha, and stuff like gotcha, that. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but imagine, imagine you were the administrator for a data center that had a thousand servers in it. Yeah. And you did all AMD you know, Ryzen's or whatever, right? Yeah. Imagine just coming in one day and pushing out a software update and losing 150 servers worth of computational power. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks because you, you've you've paid yeah. for that hardware and you've now lost it. Yes. Due to security concerns. So oh, man. that that stinks, but that's the price the price we pay for security. It does indeed. Now, the, what was interesting is they they were saying that looking at the numbers, they, they ran just a few games to see if performance was hit, though, right? They mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that we won't see any. It's just that what they tested saw no hit. And it's still possible, though, right? It is possible. It depends on what it does. You yeah. know, the the ones where they, they kind of had the biggest hit was when they were doing, like, compiling a program with okay. GCC. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that, that's where they were seeing 15% hits. And most people aren't compiling software every day, yeah. right? But when you launch a modern video game, there are times where it's doing things like um, preparing shaders or whatever that'll that'll eat up regular CPU, and that will take a performance hit. Oh, yeah. But once the game is running, it's generally relying on the GPU to do its work, which this flaw is not in the GPU, it's in the CPU, so, and so... No big deal anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Huh, interesting stuff. I was trying to find the, the games that they tested. Uh, you're, you're telling me that Fallout 4 is not on there? Because that's the most popular game right now. No, they did. They tested uh, Baldur's Gate one. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Far Cry six, Hitman three, Warhammer three, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. So Don called it hey, and yeah, uh, Watch Dogs Legion. So if you're interested in any of those games, 
Good news. They were unaffected. But if you're an LNWire gamer, you might be screwed. So out of curiosity, I have seen some modern games. So I'm not a modern gamer. I don't have any consoles or anything. Uh, and not I know to. this is going to complete rabbit trail, but whatever. We're, we're down that road anyway. Um, the, the graphics are very impressive. Oh, yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. But I, re- I came from old enough to remember when graphics were not impressive at all. And those games are awesome. Those games mm-hmm. are like super fun. To this day, you give it to a kid and they, they get immersed into it. It's super fun. Right. And I've played a lot of games where graphics are very impressive, but it's not very fun. Kind of sucks. Yeah. You know, so I, like, and I, I hate online gaming, the the never ending game, because it's all done online. You're living somewhere weird virtual world. That doesn't appeal to me. Uh, and even if it did, who cares about the gra- Like the graphics to me are no longer like the biggest push. Who yeah. cares how ultra realistic it is? I care about how I think fun as long the as game it's is. playable. Yeah. Right. So I don't care if I take a, a graphics hit or a performance hit. As long as the game is playable and the game is fun, I'm going to play it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, from, from the list that Sophie read, uh, Far Cry 6. Yeah. I don't know if you've played that one play or not. Um, I haven't played Far Cry since Far Cry 2. So. It's it's set in like a fictional Cuba. <laughs> really? And it's called Yara, but it's it's basically Cuba. Okay. Uh, and you are a guerrilla, you know, a, a yeah, guerrilla yeah, yeah. fighter yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to overthrow a, a government. Yeah, and, that sounds fun. And so it. It, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, not in real life. But <laughs> real life, that's a horrible existence. Yeah, yeah weekend I mean, necessary, <laughs> but, you know. But it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, you're on this oh, beautiful yeah. island, and, you know, the, the lush trees and, and the way it's rendered, like, the graphics on this stuff is really oh, no, amazing. I, like I said, I've seen, like, um, what was it, like Modern Warfare, mm-hmm. like the Call of Duty stuff, and, uh, like, the latest, uh, I think, was it Ghost Recons or whatever? They are They are just insanely yeah. detailed and accurate. I end up getting lost too much watching the scenery <laughs> than I do actually playing the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I do find some of those games very fun, but I would still find them fun if the graphics weren't as impressive, yeah. is my point. Yeah. yeah. You said you said a little bit ago when you started talking about this, you said, I'm not exactly like a, a modern gamer. Right. And all I can think now is that you're not the very modern model of a modern major, <laughs> major gamer, gamer boy. boy. Yeah. yeah. You are the very that's model true. of a modern major gamer boy. Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's you your should, new theme uh, song. Your, your, your homework is to write, write out the entire song. Write out the song. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you walk right into that one. I mean, come on. <laughs> great. Now we're going to have Technado the musical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, Don, my, Don has all the singing parts. <laughs> if we do that, my mom will stop watching it, so we can't do that. <laughs> we can't lose our best viewer. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm true. sorry. I know we got on a little bit of a tangent, but they did, they did highlight gaming right at the top. So they it's did, important that we talk about it, right? So yeah, if you're a gamer, no need to worry. But it's interesting they have all the all the results listed out. So if you want to take a look at that article from Tom's Hardware, you can see the details, all the numbers and stuff. We won't get into that. We'll go ahead and move on. Uh, <laughs> we've got on. we've got another fun segment. Uh, this one is called "Who Got Pwned." Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. So this one comes to us from Ars Technica. It says, Cisco Security Appliance Zero Day is under attack by ransomware crooks. I love their use of the word crooks. I know it's technically accurate, but it just makes me think of like old bank robbers, you know, like. (laughs) Twisting, twirling their mustache. You'll never catch me alive. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I wearing a monocle? (laughs) (laughs) Robbing a bank wearing a monocle. You got to be able to see so you can twist the dial. And a top hat and spats. (laughs) (laughs) He's a very well-dressed crook. It's like they're going to church. Yeah, Yeah, this is is an important day for him. This guy's going to look good. No one one would ever suspect you. Criminals don't wear top hats. Blend in with all the other top hat monocle wearing, (laughs) spat sporting, cane wheeled. <laughs> the cane's a weapon, yeah. Yeah, right? So, I'll we, hit you with this. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the material. We've yeah. already lost control. So so this is a, it's a zero-day alert. Uh, there's no patch available for this yet, so users have to enable so workarounds. Yeah. So <laughs> it's our it's kind of vulnerability. <laughs> Man, I'm doing my best, all right? <laughs> uh, there's no patch available, so there's you got to enable workarounds. And it says right now the best option is to enforce MFA, which I feel like— And cry. <laughs> I fe- and cry, yeah. I feel like we should be doing that anyway, right? Yeah, Cause... yeah. So let, let's uh, let's simplify this one as, as best we can, because I— I have I have criticized other companies on the podcast before, especially companies like Fortinet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in this, and, and I think even in the past, I've said, look, other companies like Cisco have had vulnerabilities too. Here's a great example. So there is a vulnerability in Cisco's ASA firewalls and their Firepower Threat Defense Appliance, their FTD. So these are edge devices, devices that are designed to be exposed to the internet. So they're high risk, and you would think they would get the highest level of security scrutiny, but 
like Daniel said a moment ago, it's hard for somebody to catch everything. And in this case, Cisco has let a, a, a pretty bad one through. There is a method to connect to the SSL VPN endpoints on these appliances and effectively brute force passwords. So once you're connected, you can brute force it and get an in. Once you're in, you can then enumerate the valid users and brute force those. And then you've popped open a network and you've got access to it through its own SSL VPN functionality. Uh, Cisco does not have a patch for this just yet, which is odd because preventing a brute force is not normally a complex task. So there must be something more going on in the background. I, 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 was, I find it interesting. Is not the patch enable MFA? <laughs> so, you know, enabling MFA would help to a degree, right? Because then right, because they can then brute force to their heart's content and, and they won't, won't get it. anything. Yes. But, Which mitigates the entire chain of attack. But, but now we've got to ensure that MFA is turned on for every account. And my, mm-hmm. my understanding is that the ASAs do support MFA when they are uh, directory accounts. So if you have it connected like your active gotcha. directory or a federation, but not individuals. But if you have local accounts, they don't. God. And so well, that's a problem. Cisco put out a list of possible mitigations, and one of them was to restrict all local accounts. But you know, when you could get you put a, an appliance in front of it that does MFA. Well, so <laughs> so if I've got a firewall, <laughs> now I want to put a firewall in front of my firwall. It's Listen, like exhibit's going to come around, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it, it could be too difficult to divest out of the infrastructure you already have built. It could just be easier to yes buy a simple cheap device that does the one thing you need to do very well yeah. and just implement that as the temporary workaround until your expensive piece of equipment gets fixed. Yeah. And a couple of options right. on it, right? It, something like that might work. You know, you hate to, you hate to stick anything in front of your firewall because you're effectively just wasting everything the firewall does. Yeah. Uh, but Cisco has basically said, look, you can disable local accounts, which creates a bit of a risk if it ever loses connection to its directory server. Like now you can't get into the device. Yeah. There's no way to authenticate. Uh, you can turn off the SSL VPN, which not a great idea if you actually use the SSL <laughs> VPN. Uh, and then there's a few other things, but turning on MFA for your main accounts, that will help with at least stopping right. people from getting into the network. Uh, but you definitely need to restrict those local user accounts and keep an eye on it. Uh, if you don't have logging and monitoring turned on on your VPN, you certainly need to have that. I have no doubt that Cisco will have a patch out for this really quick because their their Talos team and some yeah, of the other yeah, people they're, they're are top straight notch. Up hardcore, yeah, those those people are smart. But where the risk will happen is customers rolling out the patch, right? Mm. So Cisco, <laughs> what that's going to be a problem. Cisco is great at getting patches out as fast as they can. Customers are not great about deploying those because there's a lot of risk involved, and there's almost always a reboot necessary for it to apply. So that means you got to take the devices offline. So this is an active thing you want to pay attention to if you use Cisco's ASA or FTD appliances, uh, which are incredibly popular. So uh, I imagine a lot of you listeners do. Don, you've been you've been kicking around in Cisco world for a, a while. You, mm-hmm. you used to be quite uh, hot and heavy over that stuff. Yeah. Is well, well, I have not followed Cisco's track record of secure. So we we were kind of talking about Microsoft. It's it's a little difficult to to miss Microsoft's track record on <laughs> security, right? They 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 have ebbed and flowed throughout history. Has Cisco seen the same kind of trend in your estimation? Uh, what what's your experience with their security standpoint? So I think that um, in terms of their hardware mm-hmm. and their firmware, they have a really good track record, but their software historically they've had a habit of outsourcing that out to the lowest bidder <laughs> and and not just one bidder. So like when version 1.0 of the software comes out, it might go to one firm. Sweet. So when it's time for 1.1 or 1.5, it goes to another firm and she got multiple hands in the pot and, and you end up with a mess. And yeah. so their software has a history of, of being somewhat buggy and unreliable. Their hardware rock solid, yeah. right? Uh, in this case, it's kind of skirting the edge in between the two. But the SSL VPN, in my opinion, falls fairly firmly in the software world. So I'm not surprised to see this. But uh, what Cisco really excels at is being incredibly transparent about these things. So they they, they tell us about it. Uh, It's not like some of the stuff we've seen from from the competition where they had, oh, sorry, we have a hard-coded user account in your system, and there's this brute force attack, and you're not allowed to change the password for this hard-coded account you didn't even know about. Yeah. Like, that's the stuff that some of the competition is doing. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, when you hear about uh, Microtick and and some of these others and the vulnerabilities they have, where they've basically brought it on themselves. In this case, Cisco's failed to mitigate a brute force, which is is bad. But really, the attacker shouldn't even be able to get to that point. Uh, well, and then there's there's other things. So as I was, the article said that the brute force that they were performing, that the attackers were performing, uh, which they have been seeing uh, on the rise mm-hmm. within the last few weeks, was credential stuffing and password spraying. So if we understand the ideas behind credential stuffing and password spraying, maybe there's some more that you can do to help fix this, or at least mitigate to some extent. And that is, when it comes to credential stuffing, what is credential stuffing? Credential stuffing is where I have uh, found data breaches that have occurred, and through that uh, data breach, I have users with known passwords, right? We have have discovered passwords, and I'm seeing, are you reusing any passwords? Hopefully you are. I'm going to stuff those credentials and see if they work anywhere else other than where the data breach occurred, right? So good cybersecurity says that we don't reuse passwords ever, ever, right? So everybody at your company change their password, right? And to something that is not being used by anything else. So password managers, they're our friends. Yep. And then you have password spraying, which is where we just use common passwords. Eventually, somebody's probably using one of these common passwords, which is why they're called common passwords. <laughs> and I will be able to utilize that common password on X, Y, or Z account as soon as I find one that is using that. The advice is, again, the same. Change your password to something that you're not using anywhere else. Again, use your password manager. They typically have a password generator feature. And just change that stuff. And then those those become much less effective as an attack vector. You double that up with the 2FA, right? You're, you're starting to build that layered security that we always pump in, in, in classrooms and books and cybersecurity talks. Use layered defense. And then now you've got a little bit more time on your on your hands before something like this is going to actually affect you uh, detrimentally. Yeah. Now you you asked about track records. Yeah. Um, the researchers that discovered this were with Rapid Seven, huh. and they initially got on the trail because they found on the on the dark web uh, somebody was reselling VPN credentials, and hmm. there was a person selling. Uh, they had four thousand eight hundred and sixty five Cisco VPN credentials. Whoa. And 9,870 Fortinet VPN credentials. So, uh, uh, you know, Cisco's yeah. 50% ahead. Yeah, they're, they're like, they're like uh, breach light. <laughs> Half yep. the calories of your normal breach. <laughs> yep. so, uh, so, yeah, this one is active out there in the wild. If you have these devices, you need to make sure that they're secured. Uh, a lot of cyber insurance companies these, these days require you to have MFA turned on for your VPN, so the odds are you are already taken care of here. Uh, but if you don't, this is another reason to get that done. Yep. I like that we had that little, uh, felt like a call to action, like you were delivering a speech on like changing your yeah. passwords and using password managers. Like I know change that your changing password. your password is hard, <laughs> but not as Thanks. hard as going into a courtroom and telling a judge you are incompetent boob. <laughs> Ask not what password managers can do for you, That's right. why you're not using a password That's manager. That's right. Sorry, we'll 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 end it there because if we keep going, we're gonna just we're never gonna we're never gonna stop. I know it's, I know we're going yeah. a little bit long, uh. Uh, but before we go, I do want to remind you that TechNado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you're listening from the TechNado website, look for that big orange sponsored by button. If you click on that, it's gonna take you to the IT Pro website. That's what we do in our day job. We teach those courses. It's a lot of fun. I'm speaking for myself. I have a lot of fun. I don't want to speak for these gentlemen but they look like they're having fun. So if you want to watch those courses uh, to support the podcast, feel free. You can also use that code TechNATO30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. And we also have uh, live on social events and webinars that ACI Learning does. We had one last week with John Hammond that was really fun. So if you missed it, feel free to check out our YouTube channel. It should be up there. And we've got one coming up next week that has to do with AI and project management. Um, So that will be with a couple of our other edutainers. And that's going to be a lot of fun as well. And then lastly... Uh, we've got Wild West Hacking Fest coming up heck in October. Yeah. It is ca- hack yeah. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. That was pretty no, good. I, I said heck yeah. <laughs> I see, I was going to give you full credit. Okay, well, I'm not a liar. I yeah. take it back. But it is going to be a lot of fun. Daniel and I will be there. We're going to be shooting a special episode of Technado up there and hopefully even get to interview some of the folks that are there as well. So, Daniel, let's go from 1 to 10. How excited are you? Uh, 12. 12. Yeah. Mm. Wild West Hacking Fest is the highlight of my year when it comes to conferences. I just I thoroughly enjoy it. A, it's 
set in beautiful Deadwood, South Dakota. It is just so pretty and pristine to go out there, walk around the town. The town is really cool, a lot of history there. And it's, you know, it's it's touristy. So there's a lot of cool touristy things to do. Uh, other than that, just the talks are always top tier, right? Everybody that's there, all the companies that are there, all the, you know, kind of the quote unquote big names in cybersecurity are usually there. And you get to go there and hang out and they just find out they're normal people and they love to talk cyber. So join us, would you? Because it is a lot of fun. And um, yeah, learn a thing or two. Cyber celebrities. Yeah. They're just like us. Well, <laughs> probably. We'll find out. They don't put their pants on one leg at a time before they go to work. They don't put their pants they, on at all. Exactly. Because they, they work from home. <laughs> well, we'll have uh, probably some more details on that to come. But right now we're about a month out, so it is coming up quick. But that's going to do it for me. That's all I've got, unless there's anything that I'm forgetting. Probably. Huh? Probably. Yeah. I'll get in trouble for that <laughs> yeah. afterwards. Well, thank you guys so much for, for joining me. Not that you had really had a choice because it's, it's kind of part of the job. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. But thanks. Thanks. I'm chained for this. to this desk. Someone yeah. help me. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us for this episode of Technado. We'll see you next week.